Main Street to Wall Street. Global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, my first guest was selected by Forbes as one of their next generation innovators back in 2014. I had him on Executive Perspective live on C-Suite TV just a few years ago, and he was so insightful, I wanted to bring him back on this podcast. And we're going to learn about a lot of things around privacy and security, but we'll also even talk about some of the weird things he does, like he makes, makes furniture weird furniture. We're going to talk about that. I'm talking about Jordan Brandt. He's the CEO and co-founder of Infer, a company that believes that privacy and security are foundational to the future of computing and obviously to our businesses. So welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, Jordan Brandt. Hey, thank you. It's great to be back and see you again. Excited to talk about what's new. I mean, listen, you grew up on a farm in Kansas. I like that. You got a PhD from Harvard. You testified in front of the U.S. House Financial Services Committee uh, just, I think, last year, right? Yeah, it was uh, October of last year. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's fantastic. So last time we spoke, uh, you had a steady job. And we, we call it that because when you go out and start out your own company, it's not a steady job anymore. But you were a tech futurist for Autodesk. Why did you start this company? Because I'm crazy, Jeff. That's why. Um, <laughs> you know, it was a good gig. I, I really loved it. I mean, when we talked, um, you know, we're working a lot of interesting research. I enjoyed my time at the company. Um, the, the reason that I came into Autodesk, they actually acquired the first company that I co-founded, and we're doing cloud compute for engineering design and analysis. What was interesting, and, and we're really happy that that product that uh, was acquired became their fastest growing product by revenue in the history of the company of Autodesk, which is a pretty long history. So a lot of success there was great. But as we saw, you know, Autodesk was moving to cloud as have most companies now in offering their software. And there are a lot of challenges around data privacy, data security, and even data residency. You know, you put it in the cloud, how do I guarantee where the data is at any given time? How do I guarantee that it's secure? And how do I know that I can achieve the privacy compliance? So that was still a fundamental challenge. And you know, while I was doing grad school at Harvard, I had met uh, who's my current co-founder, my genius uh, mathematician, Dmitry Jechev. And he had been working on some interesting technology uh, to improve data security while enabling all the analytics and AI that we want to do now. So we put our heads together and say, hey, this is the next big thing. And again, as a tech futurist, I had to see the future. And the future was around data privacy security as it relates to artificial intelligence. You think there's there, you think there's too much information floating out there right now? I think there's too much unsecured information flow out there right now. I think the information flow is absolutely critical and necessary. We just need to make sure that it's done in a private compliant way. Yeah. So one of the things you pioneered is called uh, cryptographic secret computing. What is that? And can you explain it in layman's terms so I can understand it? It's a secret. I can't tell you. That's why we call it secret computing. <laughs> yeah. Then it wouldn't be secure anymore, right? That's yeah, right. right. So secret computing is the ability to compute data while it remains encrypted, right? So you're, you're familiar with data encryption. You have it on your iPhone, right? You type in your passcode and it's unlocked. And that's to use the data, you have to typically decrypt it to actually use it. And then it becomes vulnerable, of course. What we do is actually keep that data encrypted while you're computing it, and specifically to the application of privacy-preserving analytics and machine learning, 
right? AI and ML want loads of data to be able to learn, right? After all, AI is only as smart as the data from which it learns, just like us as humans. It wants more data. And it's becoming increasingly challenging to access that data because of the uh, siloed nature of the data that we have today. You know, sovereign data privacy policies like GDPR, even in California, where you and I are today, has its own data privacy policy. So it's getting harder for companies to leverage that data. And secret computing guarantees mathematically the security and privacy of that data while you're still using it. But how would a, how would a normal business be even able to comprehend what, what kind of in either policies or products do I need to have as a business? That's a great question. I mean, if you think about a large multinational organization, right, and you have operations across the world, you're already encountering these challenges of data silos. So you have data assets that are distributed and you can't leverage all of that data because you can't move it. You can't just pile it all into a data lake yeah. and be able to run your analytics. Well, I'll give you a good example. When I was the chief marketing officer of Eastman Kodak, you can imagine how much data we had on customers, you know, either as consumer customers, the photographs that you had, because we stored all those with Kodak Gallery, you know, so mm-hmm. we had billions of photos that we did and terabytes and terabytes and of data. We were one of the biggest, you know, data users, you know, but I always said that if you ask me for a list of my customers and you threaten to kill my children, you should just shoot them now because I'll never even get a list of it because Absolutely. the data was all in those silos. And I had to actually appoint a chief data architect to start to figure out what those power, that was 10 years ago, yep. you know, so that, it's difficult to get the data. I mean, so if companies have it, why is it so easy for these other guys to go and get it? Well, that's what we're trying to make it harder to do is for the bad guys to be able to get that data, but still for those companies to be able to use all of those data assets for all the initiatives that they have, right? Greater insights, greater analytics, better value to their customers um, while protecting it against adversaries, which all those attacks are increasing, you know, specifically now in the COVID crisis, like, Transaction fraud, digital fraud is on the rise dramatically. So right. that, that need is, is more critical now than ever. So are, are data and privacy a priority for enterprises, do you think? Yeah, and you know, we're fortunate in, in the current scenario that it is a mission critical, not a nice to have. Um, they, they need to meet the uh, compliance requirements that are imposed upon them. And you know, actually now it's, it's interesting is that they're a lot of the data that they actually have as an, in, an individual enterprise is not sufficient to anticipate what's to come. And that's because a lot of new patterns of behavior are emerging. Again, I go to fraud. Uh, fraud is on the rise and the patterns that emerge to show that something has happened fraudulently has not necessarily been experienced before, right? You think you have your own set of experiences, I have my own, but if we put those experiences together, we gain greater knowledge. And that's really what we're enabling. So that's still very much a critical need for these enterprises that doesn't go away uh, in market conditions. Yeah, but for any business, I mean, so I, I, you know, I sit here and think about, and I had a big conversation yesterday because I'm working with a company that's about to launch a brand new phone. <coughs> and then we're talking about security on the phone and data on the phone, right? And that's the real thing. I mean, that's, that's where the money's to be made is that data and your usage of that phone, the way you use it, how you, and and of course, all that stuff can be captured. And that's what's being done right now. You know, Verizon, everybody, they know more about you. You, you know, I say something, you know, honey, we should get a, you know, a, a, a blue, a blue car. And pretty soon now I got ads of blue cars showing up everywhere. You know, and I might even just be having a a passive conversation. We all know that that stuff's going on. But I don't know that everybody else is thinking of the data 
like some of these big companies are and how they're mining that data, are they? Yeah, I think consumers are definitely becoming much more aware. Uh, recently, our senior privacy counsel and head of policy, Sonny Kang, advised the Senate Commerce Committee around rejecting this false dichotomy of lives over privacy, meaning we can enable data sharing to gain greater insights without compromising the privacy or the security of that data. Because traditionally we think, well, in order to use it, I have to show it to you. So consumers yeah. can now be protected. They can still get the benefit of what these enterprise software are offering them without actually giving them the data. So you can learn from something without actually seeing it. So we're trying to you know, educate the market that that traditional trade-off does not need to be made. Well, and that's putting some ethics in some places where it might not exist yet either too. That's a different thing. Hey, listen, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back and we're live casting right here on Facebook and LinkedIn. You're talking with Jeffrey Hazlett and we're on all business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on C-Suite Radio, world's largest business podcast network. I am talking to Dr. Uh, the good doctor, Jordan Brandt. He's a CEO and co-founder of Infer and we're so glad to have him back. He was on my Executive Perspective Lives a few years ago, right here. In fact, I think we filmed it right here in LA where I'm at today Indeed. and just down the road. So it's fabulous to have him back. We're talking about data and privacy. Let's think about this, uh, Dr. Jordan. I'll call you Dr. Jordan. How's that? It's like Air Jordan. It's almost like Air Jordan. You, can you call get me that Michael for short if you want. <laughs> there you go. Hey, so with the remote workforce, how safe is our data right now? What challenges are we doing or should we be doing to address that? Well, it's a particularly salient problem right now, obviously, that enterprises who are accustomed to people coming in, logging on to secure networks, now suddenly that attack surface has in- increased exponentially. So ensuring security of the data wherever it sits has become a big priority. So being able to really, rather than focusing on resilience of the network, you focus on the resilience of the data itself, that you know where the data is and that data is protected wherever it may be in the world. Yeah, how many companies do you think have a real data you know, strategy or a real privacy strategy? Well, you know, for us, we've served large enterprises and regulated industries that have a very high bar for security and privacy and are pretty advanced in their use of analytics and, uh, and AI, like financial services and healthcare, as you can imagine. Um, and, you know, we see that continuing, that this is not going away, regardless of what the market trends may be. Well, I can imagine there's rings of that or levels of that. If you're a small business, smaller businesses, I got to imagine their data strategy or even their, you know, privacy strategy or their, you know, security strategies is on the lower margin. All right. And then the more you utilize you know, credit card information, the more you use customer data, the higher that goes up. And I think on the enterprises, I would say a good, the, the top enterprises all have that in place at some level, don't they? They do. Absolutely. Um, you know, there are tiers of sophistication adoption. The way that we kind of differentiate that market, if you think about uh, data analytics and AI, are those who are using it in production versus those who are researching it. So most, you know, all of the Fortune 500 companies are definitely researching it. And a majority of them now are actually implementing that in practice. The smaller businesses are typically relying on, you know, third party providers to do that analytics on their behalf. Yeah. Do you think there'll be some outsourced service for this at some point? I mean, you're a few, you've been a futurist. I would think that there's got to be some paid for you service, some paid for you 
type of security data that you can be my chief data architect, you can be my chief security officer, you could be my, you know, chief, you know, privacy officer. I would think that's got to be, I haven't seen that yet. At least I don't think I have. is actually becoming, uh, you know, definitely an increase in the consumption of CISO as a service offerings because you can't afford to have that in-house. And also, you know, if you're a small business, um, you, you don't have enough experience in that field and a CISO yeah. as a service brings in, a diversity of experience from their own background and serving other markets and other enterprises. Yeah, I know there's, you know, I used to own a Team Logic IT outsourcing service. I owned a franchise, one of the very first franchises out there doing this. And they've got hundreds of them now uh, run by Franchise Services, right right out of Orange County, by the way. Uh, great, great company. They've done a great job. They own a bunch of different brands, even KOA Campgrounds they own and uh, Pips or Speedy. And, and now, of course, Team Logic. So I've seen that. But I haven't seen a lot of outsourced, like as you said, CISO, chief security officers. But I would imagine that's going to be a much more in-demand thing for most businesses. Yeah, absolutely. We see we see that in, increasing in trend. And you know what's interesting when you get into the SMBs who may not have this expertise in-house, um, you know, this sparse data problem, as we call it, comes in because again, if I'm trying to use advanced analytics and AI, I don't have enough data to feed these models. So I need to be able to pull from a broader source, which also feeds into the diversity issue. You know, they talk a lot about bias and AI. Again, if you only learn from one book, your bias is going to be from what you learn. So the more diversity of data that you have can counter this bias that we're seeing in AI that applies in you know, credit models, decisioning models. Why did somebody get approved and somebody else didn't get approved? So as a small business, I do want to leverage these services and a broader data pool to increase the intelligence of the model that I'm using and also ensure that I don't have inherent bias in that model. Well, but that also leads to more uh, growth in my business too. Because if, if I'm only thinking in a, in a, in a one track mind rather than glasses of multicolor, and that's what we're talking about in terms of opportunity out there. I'm not talking about race kind of activity, but I'm talking about the things I might think about. Um, more diversity, more inclusion. And I've said that since day one leads to more business, higher growth. It does. It, it leads to better models that give you better predictions. It better serves your customers and, and, you know, improves the bottom line. I mean, that's really where we're targeting. You know, fundamentally, we're a data security and privacy company. You know, we have a, an army of cryptographers and brilliant mathematicians like my co-founder. But the application of that data security is to get more data to improve models. So really, you know, we sell to business unit leads who want to improve their predictive scores. They want to reduce false positives. They want to reduce work that's done internally, it's business outcomes that's motivating that need for the data security and privacy. Well, the mathematicians I get, you said photographers? Cryptographers. Oh, cryptographers. Math, not photos. I'm going, wait a second. What the heck's photography got to do? Cryptography. That makes a lot more sense. Thanks for bringing that up. There is a good intersection of cryptography and photos. You know, you think about learning from faces and facial recognition and there's, you know, a lot of concern right now about privacy invasion. You see that happening in China. And, you know, what we're saying is you don't have to trade that off. You can have a model that learns from all of our faces here. You know, your beautiful face on the screen right now can learn the metrics of that without you exposing any of that information directly. Well, thanks, Jordan, for calling me eye candy. I like that anytime I can get it. But we'll let the AI determine the uh, beauty level. There you go. That's, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in there and, and program that baby. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Would you think about what you can learn from just visual data or any data? I mean, I can sit here and look at you and see, well, you like books, you know, because I can see books. But I can also see the kinds of shirts you're wearing, the background. There's all kinds of things you can pull from it. You know, back when I was, again, at Eastman Kodak, 
we could read photographs and tell you, you know, your guess at your income with, you know, by what we would see, you know, is there a pool in the background? Uh, are you wearing a designer shirt? Do we see a designer purse? All those things we, you know, one, we had patents on and two, we were able to do it. Do you think we were prepared to deal with the massive changes for business world experience with COVID? And, and then I'm kind of curious, how fast were you able to adopt and were, you know, were you prepared for this kind of eventuality? You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I mean, the world wasn't prepared, um, you know, in, in our kind of uh, view of the world, it's interesting in that we saw more criticality for what it is that, that we do and offer. And we also saw inbound interest from a more diverse set of customers than we had been serving before. You can imagine the um, surge of interest from uh, life sciences, biotech, pharma. Again, they need, you know, there's only certain pools of data right now about uh, you know, COVID infection rates, about the symptoms. You need to be able to share the data coming from all those healthcare providers around the world, not just domestically or within a state, but globally to get better insight on that. And that's really driving the need for this because again, those sovereign data policy uh, issues come in. I can't send you the data from Korea. I can't send you the data from Singapore. I can't send you the data from EU because it has very personal information in there. Uh, but we want to be able to use that to the benefit of all humanity, right? We want to build these models that can help us predict these outcomes. And so that need has become more pressing than ever. Well, you're saying that privacy and security are foundations to the future of computing, all right? And that, which means digital commerce and everything that we do. So what's the future look like from your perspective? I think that the future, if you look at how we've used the increase in computational power. You know, if you come from the 50s when the first transistor was made and it, you know, cost tens of dollars and now it costs billions of a dollar and the, you know, inverse curve that shows the amount of computing that we have in the world today, um, which, you know, is really a, a difficult estimate to determine how much computational power do we have. The question is, what do we use that computational power for, right? Mm -hmm. So we use it for bigger, better, faster, more. We use it to process more data with higher precision um, at faster rates. Our thesis is, and my prediction is, that we're going to increasingly allocate a privacy budget for that computation. So I don't want to just do bigger, better, faster, more, but I want to do all of that privately and compliantly and guarantee data security. So we, we anticipate that more and more enterprises and individuals will allocate some of that computational budget that they have to guarantee the privacy of their data. Yeah. So what's the next step for AI and privacy enhancing technologies? What, what will that be? And then where are we headed with all this tech? It's interesting because, you know, right now we, we're serving these, these industries like financial services and healthcare, and what we're seeing is more cross-industry data sharing. And again, when I say data sharing, I don't mean the actual data, I mean the insights from the data. In yeah, our the learning, the learning that we get from it. And the right? learning that we get from it. So you can think that, you know, think of the benefit that you could get if you had the availability of your financial data, of your health data, of your transaction data, and all of this, but you probably don't want all of that in the hands of one uh, entity as much as, you know, others are trying to actually collect that data, but the benefit that you get as a consumer is enormous, right? Mm -hmm. So we anticipate we're going to see more and more of this cross industry data uh, collaboration for insights. You know, you could think of like credit modeling, you know, the bank only has a certain set of information, but if you combine that with the telco data and other data, it can probably derive better decision systems, healthcare recommendations. You know, if you can see transactions and historical records of what you bought, what you ate, right. it'd be super valuable for predicting what is the right treatment program for you. But again, you don't want to give all that information to one entity. 
Yeah, or business on the business side, knowing what my the trends in are in my industry or my business, and then my banker knows my history and then can predict, hey, I know this is coming up for you. Let me get ahead of that. Let's start the paperwork six months ago so you can have the loan today. You know, whatever Absolutely. it might be. You know, Absolutely. I think that's the, that's the benefit side of it that we don't know. Hey, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. And we are back and we're live casting right here on C-Suite Radio. And you're watching us on LinkedIn and Facebook as we bring you all business with Jeffrey Hazel right here on C-Suite. We thank you all for coming and joining us. I'm talking to Dr. Jordan Brandt, CEO and co-founder of Infer. We're talking about data and uh, security and privacy. But I, I want to get into some personal stuff here for a second. <laughs> I read, Yeah, of course, man. I was like the throw in a zinger and I was like interesting things that we bring up. You, you like weird furniture. That's what I heard. I actually heard this weird furniture and it's in my notes, weird furniture. So what do you, what kinds of weird furniture do you build for your wife? I was going to say, I like to design and make furniture and it's just the outcome of it tends to be weird because my background is actually in architectural design and you know, I was a technology futurist, right? So I well, tend to and use, at Autodesk, you were at Autodesk and yeah. you can do some of that stuff with Autodesk, right? So I tend to, I, I tend to actually write the algorithms to make the design and then I 3d print and fabricate the furniture. So, you know, as I've been locked down in COVID times, fortunately I got my shop, which is actually just through that door right there set up. And my wife's like, well, you know, all that furniture you promised me now's a good time. <laughs> so what do you make it? I've made benches, I've made tables, I've made things that don't really have a definition or description that maybe let's call it sculpture yeah. <laughs> that didn't fit its original function. I printed mass, uh, COVID mass, um, you know, uh, PPEs, just trying to keep busy whenever you're not running a business. Are you doing, are you doing it with a 3D printer? Doing it with a 3D printer and some, you know, some fabrication tools, more common fabrication tools, but uh you know, it, it's an interesting application of that technology that now suddenly have people with production capacity that are sitting there and there's a, a demand that needs supplied. Uh, it's a really cool, you know, instance of distributed manufacturing coming to fruition. What's the best thing you made? The best thing that I've made is probably um, a, a uh, juicer attachment. So now I can just pour in the entire set of apples without slicing them up individually. So I've increased my uh, juice production in the household by about 10,000%. Isn't that called a funnel? <laughs> it's a very advanced generative design funnel. Yes, Jeffrey. Okay, there you go. What's the, what's the worst one? We got 30 seconds. What's the worst one you got? Uh, the bench that I made uh, with plywood and 3D printed connectors that I introduced to my wife, she sat on it and it broke. Oh, that's not a good thing, dude. No, dude, fortunately it wasn't very high up off the ground. Well, yeah, but you don't want anything breaking with your wife sitting on it because that just no. implies all kinds of bad things for you. Not good. It Not goes good. to show, always test your items before you give it to the consumer, right? Exactly. There you go. You had some poor testing. Well, hey, listen, Jordan, thanks so much for joining us right here on C-Suite with Jeffrey Hazlett, right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. Thanks. Cheers. At the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. I also have coming up on this show, Laura Minoff, and we're going to be talking about design and how COVID is impacting that for us. And we'll take that up in the second part of the show. But with Dr. Brandt, here's what I learned. I learned about the key questions that's kind of scaring me right now as a business owner is what is my data strategy? What is my security strategy? What is my privacy strategy? I don't spend enough time on those things. 
And I tell you, with this whole COVID, I've had so many people I've had on the show talk about data and security and encryption and lots of different things. Man, it's got me a little scared. And so, uh, and if you're scared, you should join with me and we should figure out how do we, you know, what do we do to fix this? What? So think about it. Start thinking about what do you need to do to protect your, you know, your, your data, your customer's data, uh, your business data, your privacy, your security, all those things. I think we have to have a, you know, some really heavy thinking about it. That's what I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hizzett. Hey, what do I know about design? Absolutely nothing. Sounds like one of those great songs from years ago. But what I do know, I like, okay? And my next guest today is Laura Minoff, the president of Array Design Studio and Gift. She has a clear understanding of not just the aesthetics and design, but the development and contracting aspect of what it takes to, you know, for a new space, you know, our repositioned space. She's also part of our thought council community of elite thought leaders. And we're going to talk about some of the things you should be thinking about with COVID or as you get older, what you might want to do with your house or your office and a lot of insight there and a way for us to be rethinking, you know, it doesn't have to be the way it used to be. It can be any way you want. So, hey, we're talking with Laura Minoff and welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazel right here on C-Suite Radio. Hi, Jeffrey. Thanks so much. This is really exciting for me. I'm glad to be here. It's so good to have you. You look so sunny and just bright and everything today. Are you, you're, but you're always, a. have never seen you not happy. Aw, perfect. That's absolutely perfect. We surround ourselves with things that make us feel good. We can't help but be happy. You know, and right now that's true, you know, with COVID and people spending more time at home, we've seen a spike in do-it-yourself projects, you know, as an expert in design, okay, what is the first thing that people should know if they want to start a project? Don't be afraid to create a wish list. What are you seeing yourself doing next? And if you can't see that, then start with something simple. Start very small and then get that game plan together and increase it. Yeah, maybe One step at a time. I, yeah, maybe before I, I, I make that that garden box, maybe I should just start with the, just a pot. You know, maybe. <laughs> right? Exactly. Or, you know, I'm one of those kind of guys like I just start winging it and you shouldn't do that. Right. You know, I, I you know, like I made a, a wagon, you know, for my nieces and my my grandkids so I could and I, it's a covered wagon. I made it and I had no plans, nothing. I just started putting, you know, boards up, doing this, adding a rope, adding this, adding a box. But you shouldn't do it that way. You should really have somebody that's competent help you out, right? Well, we call it the bones. You want to have a good, stable foundation I like that. in anything you do. And yeah. you can't create a foundation without a game plan. So there is a process. But here's the cool, fun part. You know, Jeffrey, if you want to just try something, go for it. Yeah. But truthfully, there will always be a consequence. So if you've done it on your own, there could be a consequence. Your wagon might lose a wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Or only have three. That's probably the thing. <laughs> right. yeah, that's, yeah, that's the problem. Then it's not a wagon. It's, it's a cart. It's a cart. <laughs> Or a wheelbarrow. That's what it is. A wheelbarrow only has one wheel, though, right? You, yeah, one. right. One wheel. That Three tells you legs. how much yeah, real physical <laughs> stuff I'm doing. That's that's not good. You you've you've really helped me open my eyes to functionality and mm. how much functionality plays into design about how we rethink what our our home should look like or what our office 
is doing, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of ways to redesign office spaces post COVID. Don't you? How about redesign our lives? Yeah. How's this in the design world? I love you had Lisa on the other day and she talks about storytelling and Jeffrey right now, there couldn't be a better time than to tell your story now, but through design, we help you create the next chapter. What does your future, what do you want it to be? And through design, changing your atmosphere, your surroundings, even if it's just rearranging your furniture, you will have the ability to change your mindset. And without doing, without making a change, changing your mindset, if you do the same thing every day over and over and expect it to have a different outcome, what happens, Jeffrey? Yeah, it just, it never happens and it's boring and it's, it's just, I think it's, they it's, call it, yeah, insanity. <laughs> Yeah, you're just being an idiot. But let's think about the fact that, okay, I'm working from home more often now. Typically, mm-hmm. when I, in our office, in our home, my wife's desk faced my desk. You know, she moved oh. into, well, we can't do that now because I'm so loud. <laughs> and I'm on the, I'm, you know, doing five, six hours of uh, Zoom calls, interviews, media. You know, that's what, what I do. Now, in the office, I can go into the studio or I can go into my office and close the door and it's mine. But at home, you know, she had to move out, you know, because she couldn't take it anymore. And then (laughs) then not only she moved out, she moved to the other side of the house and she closes the door because she can hear me all the way in there. But that's a redesign. So if we're going to continue to work from home, we now have to redesign our home office in a way that creates a office for her which used to be kind of her craft room, but we got to make that into an office, right? At least that's what I'm, honey, if you're listening to me, that's what I'm thinking of doing right now. How, how can I get that done? But, but even in my office, Laura, think about what I have to do now. Uh, I'm probably going to have people work from home more often, right? Okay. If that's the case, then I need to space the desk out. We got rid of all the cubicles and put everybody next to each other. Okay. Right. Crap. Okay. Now I got to rethink that. And maybe what I'm going to need is more communal space or more meeting space where we can bring everybody together in huddles. Right. And keep in mind, Jeffrey, when you're designing or even if you're just rearranging your life again, what, what worked yesterday and wow, have we brought this to fruition it's not going to necessarily accommodate our new needs tomorrow. And in order for us to move forward, we really have to take away the resist, take away the resistance, take away the restrictions. And that's what you're talking about. And also honor yourself. What, what does your, you know, what does your wife need? What do you need in your, what do you need it to provide you? Do you need an instant cup of coffee? Do you need, you know, does that keep you going? You know, maybe you need a coffee station in your office. Do you, you know, do you, you uh, going to the bathroom, maybe going to the bathroom is something that you, you're like, I gotta go, you know, and I need a close close bathroom. That's one, but I also need, I need a bacon machine and (laughs) a scotch dispensing machine, right? There you go. Right. No, but you know, I, I'm, you know, again, where you opened my mind about this and I'll give an example. I had a friend of mine who built a, a house on the St. Lawrence river in uh, what's called the Ooh. thousand islands area of New York. Mm-hmm. And when he built the home, 
he had a closet built downstairs and right above it in the next floor up, he built another closet right over that same space. Okay. And, and, and I thought, well, that, why do you have, and he told me that and he, but he was being, he was going to inform me or teach me something. I said, why do you have a closet here and you have one upstairs? He goes, well, this will accommodate the elevator when I start uh-huh. to get 70 or 80 or maybe older, and I'm going to not want to make up all, you know, go to the third floor by the steps, I can take my elbow. I went, oh my God, I never would have thought of that, right? That's what you're talking about, you know, how to make your life better, right? What are the other things that people might consider that, you know, that people like me wouldn't have been? I want to come back right after this break, and I want to ask you to answer that question. C-Suite Radio. Hey, we're back and we're live uh, casting right here on Facebook and on LinkedIn as I'm bringing you all business with Jeffrey is it right here on C-Suite Radio, the number one business podcast network in the world. And we're talking to my good friend, Laura Minoff. Now, Laura is the CEO and president of Array Design Studio and Gifts, and she's done all kinds of things in her career. In fact, I'm going to ask her about geriatric nursing here in a minute because I found out she did that, and I'm going like, what? I had no clue. All right, but before the break, I asked you, I said, what are the other things, you know, smart things that you might want to consider in your home or maybe in your office that you hadn't thought about you know, when it comes to design in this, either in the new world or as I get older or my lifestyle changes? Oh my gosh, that's an excellent question, Jeffrey. Thank you. Let's go with your friend. Okay. You said that he built a closet on top of a closet with the potential down the road that he would not put his bedroom on the first floor, but he would take and put an elevator in the closet, which by the way, is a total practical thought process. Yeah. It's about a $10,000 thought process, but it's a good thought. Well, he can, trust me, he can afford that <laughs> and a couple more closets, quite frankly, but yeah. <laughs> but so just happens to be that I have a couple and they can't afford the elevator. But what she really wanted was the convenience of not, she have a, a fireplace on the second floor, a wood burning fireplace. She doesn't want to carry the logs upstairs anymore. She right. doesn't want to. So we, what we did was we took this closet space and it's one on top of the other, which by the way, is kind of a common practice because we create channels in construction and it's easier to build on top like blocks, you know, than it is to shift them over. Um, But so we put a coffee station on the first floor in her closet and then her dumb waiter is behind that in this closet. So she can put her logs, her coffee and have it go to the second floor where their family room is with this wood burning fireplace. But on the second floor, what we did was we put the wine bar in front of it. And now she has all of her accommodations where she needs them. And that's the key convenience. What makes your life fear free and convenient, fear-free, no curbs on your showers. How about no shower door? How about a temperature control that's inside the actual physical controls of the um, of the faucet so that you'd never have to worry to run downstairs and change the temperature on the hot water tank? They're right now in your controls. There's so many cool options out there right now and materials that we can accommodate convenience and almost thoughtless um, fear free. Trip factors are our largest thing, Jeffrey, as we get older. And our right. number, I can give you number one trip trick to that. I can give you a couple, but I'll give you one. Um, 
when you are giving strong consideration to redesigning um, your first floor space or even your second floor space, take your floor and create it all one of the same, whatever that is. Carpeting is tough, so careful. We've got some really cool materials out there, LVP, luxury vinyl plank flooring, that really accommodate easy cleaning, easy maneuverability. But when you're doing that, consider putting your floor on a diagonal. Why? Because when you walk in your front door, Jeffrey, do you remember when well, you would You don't say, want it to look like a bowling alley, I guess, if you have like wood floors or something like that. Is that right? You're right. Right. And if you lay it the other way, remember the saying, step on a crack, break your mother's back? Yeah. There's a psychological thing about stepping over cracks. <laughs> so if you lay your floor coming across and you're trying to step over it, over it, over it, entering into your home or your space, it's not comfortable. And you're right. The other way is a runway. But if you put it on a diagonal, all of a sudden, you're not restricted or guided in any direction. You can go comfortably wherever you want to go, and it will create the illusion of a larger space, more open. That's kind of wacky, though. I, I know. I'm so try it before you install it. <laughs> yeah, I have to think about that because, well, I, I know Tammy would love that, but I'm kind of like one of those <laughs> kind of like straight and narrow, kind of like everything's squared up kind of thing. Although I do like we have a stone entryway in our entryway and it goes all the way into our, our bedroom on the first floor and in our kitchen it goes then to wood and mm -hmm. we have a wood and that's and that's organized that way you know a certain way meaning it's parallel to the wall so eh, i mean it'd, it'd freak me out if it was diagonal no I'd worries jeffrey I, i've got you covered we'll try it before you buy it I yeah. mean that. I really do. It, it's because you fit in. No, no offense. You fit into a box and your yeah. thought process is traditional. Yeah, so it is. there you go. You got to let go. You yeah, got to trust. It's tough, you know, because if my wife comes to me about like, let's paint it like, okay, white. What the hell? I don't care. You know, and then she does something with it. I go, oh, that's nice. So let me ask you a question. Well, I said geriatric nursing before. I kind of get it now with the geriatric stuff and you're teaching me about, hey, as I get older, and I'm not saying I'm old, which I appreciate, but you're, but you're <laughs> saying, you know, think of these things. Like, I never would have thought of a, you know, a, a non, what, what ridge on the shower or something like that. But I like that. I don't, I like totally no ridges, no, no I like that. Whenever I'm in a fancy hotel or right. a really cool place, like I was in Mexico and they had a shower that actually opened up outside. You know, oh. and it was really cool and it was open and you could open up the shutters and there was the shower. And you're, oh, awesome. I, it was really cool. And I thought and I took pictures of it, you know, because I said, oh, I would really like to have something like that. So, so that's a, another trick is incorporating nature in everything that we do, because we are our energy is moved at, with all of those incorporations of angles. And even though you are afraid of them at the moment, but until you experience them, you then realize, wow, this is comfortable. I don't have to think about how I'm going to move to my next room, to my bedroom. You don't have to think about any of that. It just comes naturally. And natural elements are perfect to bring into your setting. And functional. I want to talk about that in just a second. We'll take another break. We'll be right back. C-Suite Radio. 
Hey, we're back live cast on LinkedIn and Facebook talking to Laura Minoff, good friend. She's one of our members of the Thought Council. Of course, she's a, oh, she's got a book coming out. She's going to be on TV. You're going to see her on TV. She's, I'm, I bet we're going to have a podcast. There's going to be all kinds of things. You, and maybe she, you never know, she might even launch her own design council, a group that you can participate in. You think about this stuff. Uh, it's just such a neat thing. You talk about functionality. I have a friend of mine who's, uh, he, he makes pools. That's what he does. And been a friend of mine for, you know, 40 years now. And he makes pools and he built a shower outside of his garage. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so outside, it's an outside shower. It's covered a little, you know, a little door because he takes a shower outside every day when he comes home. Why? He has concrete dust all over him. <laughs> now, I never thought about this. And so when he takes his clothes and he takes a shower in his clothes, takes off his clothes, washes them down. Okay. Cause he's got concrete dust. Now, why is that important? He used to take those clothes and throw them in a washer dryer. Guess what happens? That concrete over time <laughs> slows down and that, that, that washing machine and dryer starts weighing 800 pounds. And I thought, exactly. well, that's unique. So I want one of those showers. I'm going to build one. Cause I'm always you know, working on the farm and I, I take the hose and I go, get naked and I'm under the hose outside. You know, I'm way out in the country though. So there's nobody there. And I'm, I'm butt naked running into the garage. So nobody can see me except for the canoers and kayakers. But, but functionality makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, that's, that's a big piece of it. Well, remember that wish list we were talking about earlier? Don't, don't limit yourself. Anything is doable. And people panic because they think, oh my gosh, if I do that, it's just going to cost me so much. Forget it. It's not even anywhere in my feasibility, but that's not, that's not true. When you connect with somebody who is not only creative, but clever, but understands your need. Um, Real quick, Jeffrey, if it's okay, I want to tell a real quick story you talk about aging in place. So I have a universal design methodology. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up because I was just going to ask you about that. Super. Perfect. So I had a couple who called me and they said, or the the husband called me. He said, Laura, we we need to remodel our our master bedroom bathroom. We have a master bedroom on the first floor, but the bathroom is just not convenient. And my wife She was very young, Jeffrey. She had had a full-on stroke. So she was literally paralyzed on her left-hand side. And so I said, oh, absolutely. And that's what universal design method is. It's the ability to, um, you know, change your atmosphere to adjust to your new needs, whatever those are. A young, old, you know, impaired, whatever that is. Left-handed, right-handed. Right. Absolutely. Perfect. That's a perfect example. So anyway, I went over and, um, you know, again, very natural. And I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. We can do this. And so I created this bathroom because she had a quad cane. So the shower was, you know, completely. Did you know you could put grab bars in glass walls? No. Yeah. You can do all kinds of things now. So anyway, created an amazing UDM Um, universally designed bathroom for her. I did it in a circle. It wasn't a huge bathroom, but she also wanted a a potty room. She said, I want to be in a closet. I don't want my husband to hear me when I'm going to the bathroom. This was really important to her. And she tinkled. (laughs) Or the other. But anyway, she didn't want to um, be boxed in though. She was uh, afraid. So I put a huge glass block window in the wall so the natural light would come through. But more importantly, um, I asked Tom, I said, why are why are we doing this? See, I thought I went there to design a bathroom for them because she had had a stroke. 
Do you know what he said to me? No. He said, Laura, I can't sleep at night. I said, what? He said, I'm worried that when Maria gets out of bed, she's going to fall and mm. she has to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. You know, we're older and that happens. So I don't sleep. I wasn't there to design a bathroom. I was there to help Tom figure out how he could sleep through the night knowing Maria was safe. So what did I do? Two things, perception, depth perception. The color of their carpeting in their bedroom was the same color as their walls. There was no depth perception. She literally had no idea where the floor stopped and the wall began. So that's number one. And I'm sure, you know, when you get up in the middle of the night, nobody's oriented, you know, you're lucky, you know, boom, you hit the wall. But number two, I put a censored light strip, you know, in an airplane where they say, follow the light strip down to the safety doors, right? Well, I put a censored light strip embedded in her carpeting so that when she moved, that light strip lit right up to her bathroom door. That's cool. See, I've got one of those light strips in my safe, my gun safe, so I can see where my guns are. I need well, to. Well, that's important. I, yeah, but I, <laughs> I need. Well, I was thinking though, I, I put that in there. I said, "Man, this would be really nice in the bathroom." Like when it came, like when I put my feet down on the carpet, it comes on, right? Yep, that was that's, it. That's UDM right there. Look that's at that. UDM. I'm already that selling is. it for you. I'm selling it for you. <laughs> Hey, Great. What, a, what a pleasure, Laura. Thanks so much for being with us. We're going to have to have you come back and talk a little bit more about steps to certifying residential commercial space, especially with all the stuff we got to change. Let's make a list of things that businesses need to think about with design in what we'd call post-COVID because it's oh, going to take where we had. Let's think about that. I want to touch base with that on Friday, Jeffrey. And by okay. the way, can I thank you really? It has been an amazing experience. The people that you've drawn to you have been such an influence and support team for me as I got gone through this past year. And it's made a huge impact for me to have the ability to be where I am today. Thank you. Awesome. Well, that's what the C-Suite Network's all about. And just you're only as good as the people that you surround yourself with. So I like to surround myself with great people. I learn every single day and everyone is so motivational and so inspiring. And I learn new things that I didn't think about. And that's what I do. I've, and this week has been just, every week has been like this. You know, I had a great <laughs> conversation uh, with my good friend, Rolando, uh, Rolando Watts. I'm going to have her back because we talked about race uh, issues. Today we talked about design. I talked about privacy, security. I learn every day. So thank you so much for being right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett on C-Suite Radio. Cheers. Cheers. The end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And I learned a lot today on this show with Laura. I like one of the things she said that I thought was a real highlight was you need some good bones, huh? Your business needs good bones, right? You, you, if you're going to build something that needs good bones, a good foundation, right? So you really need to be thinking about your business. And that's what I took away from the show. And then I love the other one, be fear-free. You know, it's okay to be a little scared, but not fearful. And I thought that was cool. You want to live your life fear-free. You don't want to fear, you know, tripping, as she said, as you get older. Because you start thinking about these things. All you young people, I know you don't, you're not scared about that right now. But let me tell you, as you start to get older, you start thinking about these things. And I thought that was a great reminder for us. And what a great thing to have right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel and C-Suite Radio. Don't forget, tell your friends. And thanks so much for listening. Appreciate it.
You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.